Hi and welcome to This Is Nursing Podcast. In this episode we speak to Kaylee Evans. She is a lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University um, but she also has about nine years experience of being a nurse in a nursing home and uh, that nursing home provides care for people with complex needs from the ages of 18 through to 80. Needs such as multiple sclerosis, Huntington's, uh, an acute brain injury. Uh, so we hear some really wonderful stories about um, what it's like being a nurse in, in a nursing home, care home, um, and something that is often overlooked, I think, uh, and sort of underappreciated, the challenges and the rewards of, of doing that type of nursing. Um, also, we talk about what it's been like for um, care homes throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, and Kelly provides some really um deep insight into to what that's been like and also the the culture and how those care teams and families have had to um, work their way through COVID-19 in the last couple of months. Kelly also um, talks about being a simulation lecturer so uh, prior to today I really had no idea what that's about and so she talks about what simulation lecturing is about and how it enhances learning experiences for nursing students and then we finish up with the work that she does with Sheffield Hallam University as a lecturer and uh, also talks about some of her longer term goals that hopefully she'll be achieving in the future. Uh, so sit back and enjoy this uh, episode. I think for me it's, it was a fantastic one um, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And thank you Kaylee, and also thanks to the guys at Sheffield Hallam University. So enjoy. Kaylee, uh, thanks for joining This Is Nursing Podcast. Um, so really fascinated by your story, so thanks for sharing it with us today. So a bit of background really, uh, you, you were um, a nurse in a nursing home for many years and recently um, you became a lecturer at Sheffield University, Sheffield Hallam University. Yeah, Sheffield Hallam. <laughs> uh, so I think we've got lots to talk about today. I'm really fascinated in both, both areas of work that you've worked in. Um, there's lots of myths around both roles I think and hopefully we can sort of clarify and clear some of those myths today and I think the, the big thing for me about the podcast is hopefully inspire people to follow your journey and, and be brave enough to say actually that sounds really good and I'll have a go at that. So uh, just to get things started really just tell us a bit about yourself what got you into nursing and and then we'll go into a deeper dive about your two roles. So my journey into nursing is not traditional and wasn't the sort of child that used to dress up as a nurse and that was the plan. Um, I would say I was quite rebellious as a child and a teenager, I used to get in a lot of trouble, um, wasn't the best at school. Um, my dad convinced me to go to college away from my friends um, and I discovered I was dyslexic. So all the time I'd struggled at school um, was through frustration through my dyslexia rather than um, the fact that I didn't have the ability. So I got a couple of qualifications, 
um, BTEC National Diploma, I think it was, um, and started in a care job because my grandmother, who was a nursing assistant, uh, got Alzheimer's disease and I helped quite a bit with her and I wanted a deeper understanding so I went into a care job and I loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, I was also enjoying being 18, 19 years old and having that sort of carefree lifestyle. Um, and the reason I became a nurse was for the fact that I was really stubborn. It sounds terrible, but I was convinced one of my patients was suffering from a TIA quite regularly. Um, and I said to the carer that was in charge that I was convinced that we need to get the doctor out, that this was happening because I was always one to research things. Yeah. And she used the phrase, which I will never ever use. And this is probably why I became a nursing home nurse is you are just a carer. And the moment she said that, I decided, no, I'm not. And I made a phone call, went through clearing for Sheffield Hallam University um, on the Wednesday, had an interview on the Friday, handed my notice in on the Monday and moved to Sheffield a week later. Wow. Yeah. So it was very fast paced. It was like, right, if you think I'm just a carer, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like I say, very stubborn person. Um, and then started my journey at Hallam and my first year definitely wasn't the best student uh, really struggled becoming into this sort of academic situation and then it changed in my second and third year mm. it's like something had just switched in my head and went actually I really like this job yeah. I really want to do this and I just fell in love with nursing and if you were weird and complex in regards to as a patient I was immediately interested in you yeah. um, and I just thought why have I done anything else but this mm-hmm. I will admit my nursing journey has not been the easiest of journeys I did have a superior complex yeah. which I think lots of newly qualified nurses do get that I'm not leaving the ward until everything's done and I need to double check this and um, I'm going to ring on the way home because I think I've forgotten this and I don't need a break. I don't need to drink. I don't need the toilet. And I'd had this pattern for about four years and it accumulated in me struggling with my own mental health and I didn't even realize it. Um, And I had a, I was working in a care home at the time and there was a visiting manager and she kind of looked at me and went, come here. And I was like, okay. And she said, what is going on with you? So the first person that had ever asked me this in regards to money, and I just exploded at her. Wow. And she was like, right, have some time away. And she basically sent me home. I came back six weeks later um, and said, right, what, what can I do to help? The service that I was involved with was struggling. It looked like it was going to close, as most nursing homes do go through these phases of things going wrong. And I actually said, what can I do to help? Next minute, now I've got an office and I became deputy manager. <laughs> to say I'd been off with stress, coming back and becoming acting deputy manager for two years was extreme. Yeah. Um, but I decided... Why not? 
it's an experience and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out and it just made me fall in the love with the job more because I missed that patient contact so the first opportunity I had of any patient contact I was the first one there I was like I'm here (laughs) like oh you need someone to give you a hand with a turn I'll come like yeah but you've got a meeting in 10 minutes I was like yes in 10 minutes I can do this in 10 minutes but I also discovered the importance of self-care and looking after yourself and being honest with yourself and your work colleagues about what's going on with you Mm. Uh, and that's something I kind of really press upon people that I work with if you're having a bad day tell me and if I'm having a bad day I'm going to tell you and being honest about what you're thinking and what you're feeling especially in the profession that we're in of nursing is so important it's so important because we are only human and people forget that they put the uniform on and think right I've got a cape now I get to go and save people's lives but that's not what we do and I think that's a real misconception is nurses save people's lives no we enable people to develop their own coping mechanisms their own way of dealing with the situation we educate them we make them laugh we talk to them when they're probably at their lowest and we point them in the right direction when we can't deal with that situation and we ensure that we empower patients our job is not to save them it's to empower them to do it themselves because that's my view anyway yeah yeah Wow. I guess, yes. So one of the things you touched on there was um, the mentoring is such a big part part of nursing. Yeah. I think, you know, from being um, a nurse in a nursing home, and from my experience of, of being in nursing homes is you don't often get that mentoring experience because quite often from what I've seen was that you'd have a nursing home manager who either was someone non-nursing who had a management background or they'd acquired that role but they still weren't a nurse. So a couple of the, the nursing homes that I went into, they were actually former carers who had been there quite a period of time, did some outside work around, you know, business management or management and become the, the manager. So how do how do nurses get mentorship in, in private care homes? From each other more than anything. Yeah. Um, it's a really difficult situation. I've, I've, I'm very lucky in a lot of ways for the fact that I've always had a really nice team. I'd say the last four years have been, the team's been incredible. And there has definitely been some shaky moments before that. We went through the phase, as most nursing homes do, of using a lot of agency mm. because nobody wants to work in a nursing home because it's got such a negative like connotations to it and the media really do demonize nursing homes and it infuriates me more than anything but yeah in regards to mentorship there isn't anything um luckily we'd had a really good relationship with sheffield Hallam university and they see potential um in people and they try and support us because they see it as if they can get us on board, then they're going to get decent placements for their students. Yeah. Um, so we'd got really good relationships with Hallam. And because I was an ex-student, I knew 
quite a few of the lecturers that were coming in uh, from them teaching me. So I, I think that's the only really mentorship ra rather than each other yeah. that we got. Um, so do you still work in a nursing home? I, I still keep a bank contract. And yeah. um, I started because I couldn't leave. It sounds all terrible, but on my last day, I felt like awful. I felt like I was abandoning them yeah. uh, because it, my last day was in June. So we were still in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Wow. I'd actually got the job with Hallam just before the pandemic had started and I'd stayed uh, at work through the first couple of months uh, to help support, but then I had to leave because I had to start my new career. So I kept a bank contract and I, I'm getting some shifts in the next couple of weeks. So I'm excited to go back. Um, I don't think I'll ever entirely leave yeah, the building yeah. um, because I am attached more to the building than anything, which is really weird because um, patients come and go and my patients are incredible. Mm. The staff, I can't even describe how great they are. Like they all have their bad days and they all get grumpy and nobody moans better than people in care homes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they've also got this passion for the people that they care for, which is completely underestimated by everyone else. When you're looking after someone in a care home and they pass away, it affects everyone in the care home yeah. and people completely forget that. Um, this goes from patients to staff to even the kitchen staff. The kitchen staff, have, yeah. we've sat and all been to funerals together. So, yeah, um, I don't think I'll ever leave. And I don't think they want me to leave. Yeah. I still get messages on a weekly basis of one or two staff just giving me updates. <laughs> so tell us about, I'd be fascinated to know about what it's been like during COVID in a care home. Because, yeah, I... Having managed a couple of care homes, I am really glad that this will sound bad, but I'm really glad that I don't manage care homes anymore because the the levels of stress that you would have to under that you face through managing care home is that I would have probably been feeling in most of those shifts because I couldn't get the uh, staff to to fill the shifts and so forth. As a manager, I'm accountable for safe staffing. I would have had to have managed all the staff on isolation. I would have also been having to tell families, look, you can't come in and see your mum or dad anymore. That, you know, I can't underestimate how difficult that conversation would be and how difficult it would be for some families to hear that being told that they can't see their parents. So tell us about, yeah, for, for people who are completely so. Uh, I was, uh, we were quite lucky. We had a nurse as our manager at the time, um, who also studied at Hallam. She had a lot of uh, management experience, but she wasn't a nurse, so she couldn't climb the ladder like she wanted to. So she's actually, my nursing manager is two and a half years qualified. Okay. Um, and I helped support her when she started work with us and she's climbed the ladder and she's incredible. But every decision that was made around COVID was made as a team. Yeah. So we were very much in communication. COVID and nursing homes was horrible. There was little to no direction for the first, I would say two months. 
um, so we made the decision as teams. So we decided to shut the door before Boris said, you need to shut your doors. We had to have those conversations with family. Um, we had to deal with professionals not coming in. So GPs stopped visiting because they don't, didn't want to risk contamination because if a GP's out, that's a lot of patients without a doctor. Yeah. Um, we were limited people going into hospital for unnecessary things. Um, we had patients that had uh, chemo planned and their chemo had been stopped. So then we were having to manage their pain. Mm. Um, but having to do everything via the phone, it was a really awkward situation. Luckily, we have an amazing activities team that was very much aware that family and friends were missing each other. And we were, we were missing the family of our uh, patients as much as our patients was because you get that close with them. So they did a series of videos yeah. um, just sending love and um, just really silly videos. They were very funny and um, just the families and we were sending out, uh, our managers were sending out emails and letters on a regular basis saying we're here. One of the touches that my manager did, which I was having the worst day ever uh, in regards to just nursing it was just everything that could go wrong did go wrong and we do have those days and i got home and i got something uh in on outside my front door and it was a little card that said i know this is hard but you're doing great we really love and uh, love and value as a staff member and that was from my manager yeah wow. he hand wrote those to every member of staff because nursing homes don't get acknowledgement so she did it for uh, for everyone else. It just made you feel valid. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of the clapping. No. I will say, I felt weird, mainly because you're clapping me for a job that I've been doing the whole of my life, uh, professional life, and it just felt weird. It really did. I'm like, I get it for the people that didn't sign up for this didn't sign up for being at risk, like people that work in supermarkets, delivery drivers that haven't got this experience, but us as nurses and carers, there's other ways of saying thank you. Yeah. Um, rather than just clapping, maybe financially, yeah, we'll yeah. say from the government would be a really nice idea. Because I, I know that just- would be nice. Yeah, it'd be nice if they donated their new pay rise. Um, to the the nurses that are around that have because there's the amount of nursing homes that have lost patients yeah. is awful absolutely awful I, I'm going to say this touch wood because I know we're on the rise at the moment but we haven't wow. and we had a we had two cases um, and they both got it from a hospital because they'd become so unwell, we couldn't manage them where they were. We had someone virgin on sepsis, so they had to go into hospital. And someone that was query a fracture, um, because he decided he wanted to get out of his wheelchair. Working with um, people with acquired brain injuries is definitely challenging. Um, he, uh, they both went into A&E, both went to wards, and sadly got COVID. 
Mm. Um, we even had issues where hospital were like, no, they're fine. We tested them when they came in. And we were like, yeah, but you need to test them before they leave. And they were like, no, they're fine. I'm like, no, that's what you've got to do. And we had a lot of fight back, but it was because in regards to their leadership and management, it was so vague at the beginning. It just made the situation 10 times worse. And I, one of my patients got quite ill in hospital with COVID. Um, And with his previous diagnosis, you wouldn't have expected him to survive. Not only did he survive, but on his way back, he greeted us in his normal way. So he's nonverbal. So he communicates using hand gestures. And because we'd made a fuss of him coming home, he may have used one particular finger to say thank you to us all as he was going through the uh, corridor. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) COVID was stressful. I think it made the staff closer because we couldn't physically hug our own family members and we all every member of staff I know isolated themselves instantly from anyone outside because they didn't want to be the person that brought it into the building because the patients were so vulnerable so we'd never got to have that physical contact with his family like some people did when they had bubbles Mm. and we all got tested one day um, and me and two other carers both got our results literally at the same time we got the text message through we were allowed to keep his phone on us that day because we were waiting for COVID results we all got a negative result at the same time and we all hugged and it was the first time we'd hugged anyone in ages and it was the best feeling because it was I can actually hug you because we know we're safe god I'm so happy and yeah that I think that experience will stick with me for a really long time so tell us about so being a um, accountability and I guess being a, ner- uh, a nurse in a nursing home, people, people or other nurses outside of nursing homes, I don't think they really appreciate that level of accountability and that, that variety of skill mix that you need to have. So just tell us about, shall we just talk about some of the accountability stuff about what, what it's like as a registered nurse? Yeah, accountability is quite a scary thing as a nursing home nurse because you're not only at risk if you make mistakes, but if people that are caring within the facility, they you're accountable for their mistakes. So you need to make sure your staff are educated, are sensible, ask questions, um, and honest so when they do make a mistake they come and tell you so you can fix it or if you can't fix it deal with it um accountability like it's a 36 bedded unit and during the daytime there's two qualified nurses so that is a lot of human beings to be responsible for and these people that i look after aren't little old people with dementia nothing like that at all the youngest uh, we had was 21 the oldest we had was 80, so um, I'd say majority were 40s and 50s, possibly early 60s. So lots of acquired brain injuries, MS, Huntington's, motor neurons disease. And each of these individual things have their own risk factors. So one of the biggest things is swallowing difficulties. So we need to make sure our staff understand 
if someone is struggling with their swallowing, what to do. We also have a lot of people with swallowing difficulties with full mental capacity, which means that, yes, maybe they shouldn't have a bacon sandwich. Maybe they should be on a puree diet, but they're an adult and they have capacity and they make their own decisions. So we are putting that stress onto a carer and then that stress on us that the carer makes sure they make their own correct decisions and the risk assessments that have to be put in place you have to do them yourself as nurses you if there's a risk you've got to deal with it Mm. if there's an issue you have to deal with it i can proudly say i can fix a hospital bed because when things break not always the um staff that deal with that are there so i have been taught how to fix things like that i can also reset the boilers in the building when it decides to switch off at two o'clock in the morning in the middle of winter because at the end of the day their lives are your responsibility Mm. but it's not doom and gloom working in a nursing home at all even though i'm accountable even though if someone else messes up it is so like my fault we have so much fun and because we have looks after the people we look after for so long, you develop relationships and it's not the traditional nursing where you go into a bay and go, good morning, Mr. Smith. Good morning, whatever. And it's all very polite. I have actually, they've, patients have got nicknames for me yeah, and you just walk in and we talk about banter a lot as nurses and how important it is but being able to have a laugh and a joke with somebody um is quite interesting um just for the fact that it just makes them feel human and the clientele group that i look after they're underestimated themselves so we it's not happening now as much but it was happening a lot i'd say about six years ago they go into hospital they come out of hospital with a DNR CPR. And the reason behind it was quality of life or the condition that they had. And my argument was always, you do not judge somebody's quality of life against your own. You ask them. Like my patients, yes, they might not be able to eat uh, like we do, but they've got a peg, they might have a catheter. They might have a tracking of communication difficulties or not be able to speak at all, but they are the funniest, most sarcastic human beings alive and genuinely enjoy winding people up, trying to run me over with their wheelchair. Just having their families around them, laughing and joking and just living. But when a doctor makes that decision, that their quality of life is the reason why they should have a DNR CPR. I'm like, you're seeing them at their worst, come and see them when they're better and see their quality of life and then tell me that's the reason for a DNR CPR. But I will say that has changed over the last couple of years. Yeah, Maybe not yeah. so much with COVID, but. Yeah, I think, yeah, just touching on the bit about, you know, that, that banter and, and that relationship that you have, and especially with, with patients, that you guys look after is the element of trust. And, yeah. I think, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll make an assumption here that actually 
for these people. They need to trust you 2000% to provide their care because not only do they need that help, but actually they're probably very acutely aware of or have experiences where people have not cared after them the way they know they should be and that come to their own harm or, or own distress. And I suppose once that trust is formed, that's a really powerful element of that therapeutic relationship, which allows you to get away with the banter and, you know, um, the fun, I guess. Yeah. It's very difficult for someone that's coming into care for the first time in their life. Mm. Um, because obviously it's demonized by the media, they're always terrified. Panorama. Yeah, I love Panorama. Yeah, and honestly, we are very honest when somebody comes in and we say, right, we are gonna have teething problems. We are gonna do something that annoys you or upsets you, but you need to vocalize. That's annoyed you, that's upset you because we wanna treat you as an individual but we don't know you as an individual. So you have got to be honest with us and we'll be honest with you. And that level of honesty makes a huge difference. Um, because we are a very friendly, bubbly group, we always ask, what do you prefer to be called? And some of the names that we have to call our residents is amazing, um, just because that's what they want to be called. Um, and having that ability to make them feel comfortable is really important and that's something that I'm I'm quite proud I can do because I tend to talk to the family as well and say look at two o'clock in the morning you are going to wake up and go oh my god I didn't tell them about this or oh I can't sleep I'm really worried about them my advice would always be ring us because we're awake we are definitely still doing stuff and we'll be able to tell you there's always someone here to deal with any anxieties you have because mm. managing families' anxieties is as important as managing the patients because if the family is comfortable, the patient's comfortable and vice versa. We had a lady that um, her son came to live with us and did not want him to come and live with us. She was like, no, I want him home so on and so forth. She got very angry and she was, we'll say confrontational when he first came in. Yeah. Um, and we were trying to instill trust in her, but she was a very stubborn woman. This woman now sits our, on our interview panels for any, anybody to make sure they're the, a good quality of staff that she's used to. Yeah, okay. the, the way we changed her mind was he got very ill very quickly. It was so complex. And rather than sending him to hospital, we managed to deal with a situation where we were. And she was like, why isn't he in hospital? I was like, because he's getting better, because we did this. And she's like, well, but he's always in hospital when this happens. I was like, but we managed it before it became a problem. And her attitude completely changed. She was like, oh, actually, they do know what they're talking about. And I think that's quite different because most people think, oh, patient gets ill. Nursing homes, send them to hospital. No, we don't. That's the last place we want to send them. Where we want to keep them is at home, where they're comfortable, where they're safe, where, because they don't communicate normally, they might get ignored just for the fact that in a hospital environment, if you shout loud, you get attention. If you're silent, you might not get as much. And that's just the way 
we are as humans, noisy people tend to get noticed. Just to touch um, on that, I think um, that, that, that keeping people in their preferred place of care, I think that's where the experience of nursing home, people that work in nursing homes really understand advanced care planning and the importance of that documentation. Because, yeah. you know, I've been in situations where an ambulance crew would say, we're taking them in. It's like, no, you're not, because I've got a piece of paper here written by person saying this is where they want to be and I think again just to highlight some of the some of the pressures that, that people that work in nursing homes or care homes have to deal with is having that, that having those really difficult discussions where you know you have to advocate and say no this is what this person wants I don't know if clinically you feel that as a paramedic you know they need to go but actually this is we've been in this situation before and it's it's quite hard I think it is, for a patient. it is as well. Um, I like working in a nursing home because you deal from diagnosis to death. Mm. Um, so you can start having those conversations quite early on. Um, I had a patient with Huntington's who was going down the end of life sort of pathway. It became very obvious to me. I was like, right, we've got about a good couple of months, but it's definitely going to happen. And her, she had a very devoted, amazing husband. Um, so I had to start the conversations with him because she was aware and we'd already made plans, but I had to kind of get him into the mindset. It took me two and a half months to get him with the okay with the idea that his wife was going to pass away, mm. which is a really difficult thing to do. Um, it's just having small conversations, asking how they're feeling, but when she did pass away, she had a very pleasant death, which people go, pleasant death? I'm like, yeah, there is such thing as a pleasant death. And he was with her and it was a, a nice experience. I've dealt a lot with death because I work in a nursing home with complex people. And when I first started in nursing homes, I really struggled with the fact that as a society, we mourn people before they die. And when people are dying, people sit by their beds crying. And that's something that didn't really gel with me. People are entitled to deal with the situation that they, the way they want to, but that patient is my priority. And the last thing they hear, I don't want is to be their families crying. Mm. So on numerous occasions, I have kind of pulled people out of rooms and gone, right, just gonna have a bit of a chat. Uh, and kind of said, look, why are we, I know it's a horrible situation, but why don't we talk about, how amazing your mum is and how she is the smallest person I have ever met that genuinely terrifies me because she has just got this voice that when she tells me something to do something, I feel like I have to do it as fast as lightning and just make a bit of humor. Mm -hmm. And this particular patient, she was quite distressed because of her family were so upset before she'd even pass. Mm -hmm. The last thing that woman heard was her family giggling their socks off about a story to do with when the priest came over on Christmas and something to do with a turkey. And they were almost wetting themselves laughing. And as she took her last breath, that's what she would have heard. And that to me is just incredible. Mm -hmm. And that is a good death. And yeah, 
and that's why I love nursing home nurses because I get to develop those relationships to help people through the, the hardest situation that they could possibly see. And to be, you'd be surprised the level of humor that comes out when someone dies. Yeah. So I've dealt a lot with, um, obviously, like I say, a lot of deaths and I've had patients make really inappropriate, well, patients' family make really inappropriate comments just as their family members have died. And we've all been giggling their socks off. So a patient had passed away with his arm up because um, his wife was holding his hand and I kind of left and left them to it, came back in and she went, I've put his arm down. I was like, oh, thank you. Because he passed away at this point. She went, I just thought it'd be really funny if I'd left it up and he was just saying bye as he was being wheeled out of the building. In any other situation, this would be mortifying. But because I know I knew him and his sense of humour and her and her sense of humour, we were just giggling the socks off. Yeah. And it was such a sad situation, but it was just, it was him. It was the way he was. And to be honest, he probably did it on purpose. So knowing, right, my hand's up here. You're going to have to get that down in a minute. <laughs> Sorry, I know I, I'm quite emotive, but that's because I absolutely love it. I love yeah, my no, job. And I think that's that's what I love about nursing, especially yeah. especially you know, I, I like complex elderly care, <laughs> dementia, and, and it is it is it is about that person centeredness and that holistic care. And I think you are right when you work in in, in those care residential care settings or you know complex needs where you do everything for that person and the family. Um, it's really powerful. I think, you know, my background prior to that was critical care. And people, when I started working in care homes, I said, oh, wow, coming from an intensive care. But it's that holistic care and being able to support a person who's completely helpless in an ICU bed, but also supporting that family. And I could definitely correlate to someone passing or living their last days in their life in a care home and supporting that person and also coaching staff about, you know, end of life care and, and seeing it from different angles. So yeah, I just, I miss that. You know, I miss that. It's a big part. Of, of, I've only like been in education since June and I am missing it so much. Yeah. Like I, I miss them so much. Like I, I talk about, especially when I'm teaching, I talk about the nursing gut. I am a, fond believer of the nursing gut um, that if something feels wrong investigate do everything check everything because if it feels odd trust it yeah. don't automatically oh it's this never think it's this need you need to look into it but i had a patient that wouldn't would deteriorate um, she wouldn't show any clinical signs for quite a long time but if I walked into a room and she told me if she didn't tell me I was far too beautiful and didn't get paid enough then she was ill which is a really weird thing but it was a change in the way she was yeah. you'd pick up and then you'd be like right so you check her observations you do an A, a to E assessment and there'd be nothing but you know there was something wrong and then an hour later, you do it again, and there'd still be nothing. And then an hour later, she'd be losing a 10. Yeah. Because mm. she deteriorated so quickly, as most patients in my care did. Um, 
because of the fact that they're so complex when they go downhill they do it very quickly and uh, that's the nature of their illness or injury but trying to convince a doctor <laughs> that you've got a good feeling <laughs> that someone's going to deteriorate is quite a difficult skill um i used to find paramedics i love paramedics now may i add very difficult when they came into a nursing home because they were like oh a nursing home um but because i'm me um and understand to a certain extent the stress as paramedics are under uh, i'd meet them at the door i'd do a full s bar handover while walking to the room because you do and then they their attitudes are slowly start changing they'd get to the room and i've gone right i've done this i've done this i've done this uh, can you do this and this for me? And their attitude would be completely changed. And they'd do that. And I'm like, okay, do you want to brew a cake? And they're like, what? And I've had paramedics walk into the building and overhear them go, this is the place where we get cake. And I know that sounds like I'm bribing them. <laughs> I'm really not. It's the fact that they have the same constraints of a time that we have. Yeah. And I know they don't drink and I know they don't eat and I know they don't look after themselves. So I kind of force that upon them when they're in the building. And that means they trust us and trust our judgment. Yeah. And the same with doctors. Getting that level of trust yeah. with a yeah. doctor is amazing. And, and that's, that's how you get the best care for that person at the end of the day, because it links back to the person, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So I could talk actually hours about, about this. I know. I love it. <laughs> so bad. We've got to press on so. Um, simulation mentoring what's that okay so um and how, what is it how did you get into it so um it was actually a lecturer at Hallam that was a link lecturer for us at uh, the care home who said to me there's a simulation post coming up and it's like um try before you buy a lecturer I'm like okay so you should go for it okay like, really so like with your energy and the fact that you are brutally honest yeah because i am i'm never gonna say nursing's easy i'm never gonna tell you a lie when it comes to nursing i'm always going to be honest she she's like you should go for it so i applied for it wholeheartedly thinking i wasn't going to get this lo and behold i got the job um my interview i was sat down in front of three lecturers that had actually taught me and all I could think was, please don't remember me. Please don't remember me. Please don't remember me. Because I thought if they remember me, I'm not getting the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I kind of got thrust into this world of simulation. So the idea of a it's simula- simula- oh, simulator, oh, I can't even say it now, simulation lecturer practitioner yeah. is uh, we enhance ongoing teaching. Yep. So we... Um, look at practicals and see all right how can we make this more real how can we make this what we class as high fidelity air simulation which it feels real because simulation is proven to for example airplane pilots they go through simulations hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of simulations which enables them to do amazing things like land a plane in the middle of the hudson river Mm-hmm. because there's no way that man did that before that it was yeah. through simulation and it's something that healthcare's taken on quite a lot in the last 10 years 
so we we laugh and joke about we plastic uh, we practice on plastic until we're fantastic which i know is very cheesy but i find it really funny and the idea that we can use role play to a certain extent uh, simulated learning um technology to enhance our learning so mm-hmm. i actually spent eight hours yesterday doing a smart simulation day which is basically dealing with a deteriorating patient which is a simmer and um, the students have to figure out what's going on with the patient in real time sort of situation and deal with things like ringing doctors putting ivs in catheterizing them communicating with a mannequin that's speaking to them in the strongest yorkshire accent you'll ever come across um and trying to figure out what's wrong so they can do an s handover to a doctor to get a doctor there to help them deal with the situation. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic because 90% of students are terrified by simulation because they're like, oh, but it's weird. And I wouldn't do that if it was real life. And I'm like, mm. but you've kind of proved that you would because you've panicked and we want to get this panic over we want to make this normal Mm. and we want you to make mistakes in simulation that's one of the main things because if you make a mistake in simulation the patient's fine because it's made of plastic and you will never make that mistake again and it's understanding why we make mistakes like we talk about human factors massively Mm. um and that's something i'm quite passionate about i deal with a lecturer who is as passionate as me and we are not allowed to teach together very often because the seminar hours go on way too long because we get so excited by it but I basically my job was to so I'm going to go I've got this practical or I've got this seminar how can I make it more interesting and I'll appear and be like right we're going to do this and it, it was a I was able to enhance learning as a simulation lecturer I did that for about a year and a half and then went back to nursing because there wasn't a permanent job for me Um, um, the simulation no it was 50 50 so I was on unit 50% of the time and then at university 50% of the time which meant when I was teaching say catheterization practical and you always get that one student that goes when was the last time you did a catheter and I'm like Monday yeah, okay. Monday was the last time I did a catheter. So that was really beneficial. And because my practice was up to date, and because as a nursing home nurse, I knew how to do so many more clinical skills than most people that I even qualified with. Yeah. Because I had, I could change a, um, a BGT, which is a balloon gastrostomy tube. Um, I could do any form of catheter. Um, I could deal with quite happily um, in hospital situations you can either do female or male mm. or you have to do extra training but you have to do the extra training because there's nobody else there to do a male catheter I can't just ring somebody up yeah. and having those clinical skills really benefited me and I like to use real life situations and scenarios and a lot of simulation is hospital based yeah which I'm a fond believer if we do everything we can correctly outside of hospital, then they don't go into hospital. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to bring in a lot more community 
um, sort of situations. And I got very, very lucky. I got to work with uh, the mental health team and do ramps, which if you've not come across, please look into. And it's about recognising a medical emergency in a mental health patient because okay. sometimes it gets overlooked yeah, yeah, because of their mental ramps, health. Is it? Ramps. Okay. And it's absolutely incredible. And I was really lucky to help out on ramps and then start developing our own version of something slightly different. We do like award enhanced uh, ramps now, which I know my colleagues will hopefully be presenting. But because I was quite into mental health from a, an adult nurse, because I am an adult nurse, because I work in a nursing home, my patients have mental health issues and I haven't got a mental health nurse there. So I had to do a lot of research to have patients that deal with voices. So I had to look into that and I got quite passionate. And because I'm loud, we'll say, and talkative, I got invited to the Royal College of Psychiatry um, to meet their simulation lead and be part of their team for a short while. I sadly had to leave because I went back to nursing. But they were very intrigued by the idea of using simulation from a mental health point of view yeah. for training everyone because they've always concentrated on doctors before. Yeah. And as great as doctors are, we are a team. Mm. And we all have to understand. So supporting a support worker, teaching a support worker is as important as teaching a doctor mm. in some, sort, some situations. Um, I'd love to be able to pick that up. But yeah, that kind of got me into teaching. And I went back to nursing and I miss nursing so much. But then um, a full-time lecture post came up and I realised that's kind of what I needed to do. Yeah, okay, yeah. For now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why, why be a lecturer? What, what's, what's the calling behind that then? The reason I want to be a lecturer is because I love being a nurse like I don't I don't think it's a good job I love it I love how weird it is I love how horrendous it gets and how stressful it gets and how happy situations can be and I want students to feel that passion and think do you know what I can do this and because I think I'm not from a traditional background I I went to 11 different schools before I was 16. Oh, wow. So I've, I've had a, an unusual background. Uh, I'm keen on getting students that are from all sorts of backgrounds involved in nursing because that's a skill they can bring. Uh, being a bit more down to earth. I love um, mature students coming into nursing because they've lived their lives. And they've got all this experience behind them. And as long as you, they're not tainted by it, and but as a lecturer, you kind of got to open their eyes a little bit. Um, they become amazing nurses. And I always say to the students, the reason I like being a lecturer and the reason I like teaching you is because I want you guys to be the best nurses possible. And it's completely selfish because I want to be working on shift with you. Look at the rotor and go, oh, I'm on with this person. Not, oh my God. And I'm honest, because I do want the best nurses to come out of the university and I want them to challenge preconceived ideas like nursing home nursing is career suicide because I'm proof it's really not. Yeah. It's far from it. Um, I've done some amazing things as a nurse because I work in a nursing home. 
and I want them to feel like I do about nursing but be honest and because I struggled with my own mental health and I struggled with almost burnout um, I want to prevent that so we talk about superhero complex we talk about self-care we talk about peer support and how important that is Um, I still to this very day when I've had a bad day ring people that I was on my course with and say right I've done this did I do it right and I'm 11 years qualified and that's really important to me peer support but I always say as lecturers we're not here to teach you we're here to go this is shiny this is great go and look at it in more depth because it's about getting them passionate about something and making them interested in something yeah it's weird but I really love it so what subjects do you teach so currently um I've been doing um a foundation course which is people that want to come into the healthcare profession and the sports profession so it's like a dual course so I'm dealing with sports science students and physiotherapists and radiography students and nurses and mental health nurses and I'm teaching them things like gender and sexism and uh, racism and we've just done thing on professional identity and it's just amazing because they're all 18 and they've all got these almost preconceived ideas and challenging them is really fun Um, And then on the adult nursing course, I do a lot of physical stuff. So I've spent most of the last couple of weeks teaching basic life support, which has been really fun, but really fun with the new COVID uh, guidelines in regards to teaching uh, basic life support. And I I basically, I'm quite lucky in regards to being a lecturer. I get to pick to a certain extent what I want to teach so there'll be a list of subjects and they'll go does anyone want to develop this and I'll look down the list and go safeguarding I'll have that um mental health I'll have that um and it's it's quite nice and because we're a really diverse team if someone went right I need someone to teach the liver (laughs) and I'm like okay uh, I'm not sure about this someone who has experience will go oh I'll do that which is quite handy but every now and then you'll get a day where someone will call in sick and you'll need cover quickly and you'll get a subject and you're like okay I know this how do I how do I put this into a way that I understand it so I can teach the students and that's always really challenging but really fun at the same time because my knowledge is constantly expanding and as a nurse it should always be expanding I think being a lecturer will make me a better nurse and being a nurse has made me a better lecturer. I hope. (laughs) You don't need to have a teaching element like the EN99 or whatever it is. Not currently, but you do have to be working towards it. Okay. So I'm currently doing my masters alongside teaching (laughs) and trying to pull a shift every now and then. Um, So luckily my husband's a nurse and he's on nights. So, um, I will be spending most of the day doing my master's. What's he nursing? He's a mental health nurse. Okay. So um, 
interesting about my husband. Uh, I met this lovely girl on my first day at uni called Rebecca and she she was lovely, really sweet. We got on really well. She introduced me to her brother, so I married him. Um, which was lovely. He was a graphic designer and very grumpy. Um, and do you know when you see that spark and people that have done healthcare for a really long time or have been a nurse or a doctor will see that spark. I saw that spark in him and thought, this grumpy, tattooed, bald-headed Yorkshireman, there's something about him. And I tried, I convinced him to start working in care. And after a few years, he was like, I need, I need to do more. So he did his nursing at Hallam and he's now um, two and a half years qualified mental health nurse and he loves it. When he has a bad day, he reminds me that I convinced him to do this job. (laughs) Um, But he is an incredible nurse, absolutely incredible nurse. I think think he's better than me, which is horrible in some ways because I'm really competitive. But no, he's, and I think that's one of the reasons I love mental health because we do have some interesting conversations as a married couple, but we also try and stay away from work when we're together. So we do silly things like play video games, watch horror movies and play a lot of board games. (laughs) Because we're very geeky. (laughs) Wow. So tell us about, so university, COVID, so in, in, the, in the media, we hear all these things, that they put, these poor students are locked in dorms and all their learning is online. Um, is that true? <laughs> Not entirely. There is aspects of it. Um, all mandatory trainings face-to-face currently, but it does change on a weekly basis. Um, I am teaching my students online via Zoom. Yeah. Um, but the students that I'm dealing with completely accepts it they're like this is a horrible situation and this sucks but we do what we do and we have um particularly my tutorial groups we have a 10 minute moan where we moan about everything that sucks and everything that we don't like there's a certain name that pops up an awful lot um it's got great hair um and then we have 10 minutes of being positive and saying what we're happy about because this is a horrible situation Mm. and nursing is such a practical thing to have to do learning it online is difficult but it also means those students that have always struggled with the classroom interaction have got a different way of learning now yeah and what we're doing is we're doing async and synchronous uh, teaching which async means basically learning alone online so you get some tasks to do, nobody else is about, you do it in your own time. And then um, synchronous is where we all disappear into a Zoom room. Zoom rooms can be 15 of us or 175 of us. And we go through subjects and we have conversations, we stick them in breakout rooms, we put them on quizzes, we get them to open a Google Drive document and design something and then come back and talk about it. So we're all being quite creative in the way that we're teaching at the moment. And that's, even though it's a horrible situation, I genuinely think that's only going to enhance teaching in the future because we're all, even the people that are really bad with tech have had no choice but to get good with tech. 
Um, so it is just going to enhance the students' um, learning eventually. And because kids, uh, students have got their own children and are having to work around kids and study more so than ever because they can't go to school because there's a COVID outbreak. Yeah. Um, this level of flexibility with the way that we're teaching is really good for them. And it's really beneficial for them. It's frustrating, yes. And everyone's missing their campus. The level of excitement when we go to campus is ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's like the first day of school, but in a good way. Everyone's so giddy and happy and we all get to chat, but we are unbelievably safe. So there is a mask, a visor, apron, gloves, because especially if we're in for a practical, yeah. you're closer than you would be. Um, I think, honestly, Sheffield Hallam probably has the cleanest mannequins in the world right now because they're being constantly cleanly wiped down. And I do mean constantly and the students are so good with it. Like they come in, wash their hands. They, they, they've all read a disclaimer, which you put up on the board thinking that they, you tell them to read it. And because they're all so worried, they sit and read it word for word. It's amazing. But we're having to teach students in smaller groups, which yeah. we wouldn't normally do. We're doing eight students at a time. Okay. Normally I'd have 30. But it's been really beneficial because you spot things that you may not have spotted before yeah. and you're able to give a much better level of support. So even though it sucks teaching in COVID via Zoom, it's not just via Zoom, um, but it also enables you to be able to have one-to-one -one conversations. Mm. Um, now we've got a lot of WhatsApp groups and Facebook groups that students are supporting each other on, um, which I think is great, but they're also moaning on them, which is also great because we all need a good moan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a student tell me that she's currently living in COVID Towers. That's the official nickname for it. Um, and I've asked her, how is it? And she says, I'm just fed up with the four walls. I'll be excited when it gets to come out. But what else am I going to do? Yeah. Oskies and all that sort of stuff. So I, I, was, I was trained on the good old-fashioned Oski. Yes. So they still function as they would in yesteryear? So, OSCEs are different now. We don't really have OSCEs as much. So, your mandatory training is your basic life support and your moving and handling. Yeah. All your other competences, so your meds management, stuff like vital signs, you do on placement. So, okay. you get taught the theory, and we're actually doing um, basic, um, what are we doing? Vital signs in a few weeks' time yeah. with our brand new. Uh, cohort my husband doesn't realize this I've just told him I need him for the day so I am going to show them how to do vital signs on my husband yeah. which he's going to love and we've actually got every single student has been given a, a vital signs pack yep. uh, with everything they will need to do vital signs so they can practice on their partner on their housemate um, while we're talking about the techniques and while we're discussing why we take a pulse manually and why we don't just trust machines and why manual blood pressure is the best type of blood pressure you could possibly do. Yeah. Uh, unless you're in an ITU sort of situation, I will say. Um, 
so we are still doing those things but we are putting the ownership to a certain extent on placements because um placements the more they do with our students the better our students are the better nurses they get and i think sometimes as nurses we forget that like i will always when i've had students show them anything and everything and i love a student asking questions especially if i don't know the answer because i have to go and look it up and i have to double check things and it makes me a stronger nurse by them challenging me Mm. um our first years we pulled from placement because they didn't have enough experience to help with covid but our second and third years were on the front line they were helping with covid so I think they've probably, the, the students that qualify in the next couple of years are going to be the nurses that started during COVID. And that is yeah, going to be yeah. a badge of honor for them for the rest of their careers. And it's going to shape them because they are going to be so resilient because they've dealt with the most complicated situation that we as nurses have dealt with for a very long time. And the resilience is something we struggle with in nursing. Yeah. People People don't tend to stay in the profession if they're not particularly resilient. So I genuinely think after this, we will have unbelievably strong nurses um, come out of the course. And I think it will only benefit everyone, to be honest. And we're increasing our numbers all the time. A a lot more people, even though COVID's been horrible, I've realized, actually, I could be a nurse. and I really like it when people from hospitality get into nursing mm. because they've got customer service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something really difficult to learn. Yeah, that's um, fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that gives them their transferable skills. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, even though COVID's been horrible, there has been a couple of good things. The fact that our profession is actually acknowledged a bit more so in a positive manner. Has there been any call for, I oh know you work clinically, but uh, has there been a, a call out for university lecturers to get back into clinical settings? Well, quite a few of our lecturers still um, work in clinical settings. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, there. yeah, there's, um, uh, there's at least four that I've spoken to this week that are working this weekend. Um, so, um, anyone that's ITU trained, uh, um, nurses that I know have tended to go back to ITU over the last couple of months, more so than just pick up a shift anywhere. Um, just so they can support a little bit more. Um, a lot of my friends that are mental health nurses, um, they are still working in services on weekends and evenings to support and the services during this like stressful time so yeah it's not every lecturer does um still practice but there is a surprisingly large number that still does yeah i'd be fascinated to and then this is something i need to chase up but i'd love to know what covid's been like for mental health services i think you know it's been interesting (laughs) i can tell you that i really think that there's so much that you know we hear a lot of the stories we hear in media is about the hospitals. It's about, you know, frontline key workers, but um, the impact that must have on mental health services community um, is something that oh. I, I definitely want to, to look into. 
yeah, someone that gets leave um, off a, an adult acute ward wants to be able to go to the shops and wants to be able to do things. But the concept of wearing a mask is extremely difficult for them because of things that are going on with them or being told they can't leave because there's a suspected case. So they're now stuck inside a, situ a place that they don't want to be in anyway. And yeah, it's not, it's yeah, you definitely need to chat to a couple of mental health nurses on that one. Um, biggest challenge about being a university lecturer? Time. Yeah. Time. I wish there was more time in a day. Um, the current being so distant from everyone. I'm a very sociable person. Yeah. And working as a nurse, you're surrounded by people. Um, even in a COVID situation, you're still surrounded by cute people. Um, so I've gone from every day being around at 20, 30 staff and patients to being behind a computer screen. Yeah. which has definitely been a challenge, but I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> um, but I think the major challenge is definitely time. Like, yeah. I want to put as much as I possibly can in to my job, but also I do, don't want to um, have it a negative impact on myself. Yeah. So, yeah, time is definitely something I want more of, as most people do. And what's the next steps for you? I have it in my head. It's awful. Like, if someone had asked me this a few years ago, I don't think I'd be able to answer. Um, I'm quite ambitious. Um, didn't really believe in myself when I first started, but it's definitely grown. Love to uh, work for somewhere like Health Education England. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to be a senior lecturer or a principal lecturer eventually. What's want to get the What's the oh, So um, there's lecturer, senior lecturer, principal lecturer. And then after that, I'm not too sure because I'm still learning. Um, there's a difference in pay, but yeah. you do not go into lecturing. May I add this as a myth? You do not go into lecturing for the money okay. because the money is not as good as you think <laughs> to a certain extent but the hours are great i can say school holidays you get all the summer off no you don't not on a nursing course all oh, right okay not on any other course yes on a nursing course no because we are always doing stuff there's always students on placement because okay. we have two cohorts that's two lots of teaching yeah, that okay. constantly going all year round um i'd love health education england when i'm when I've done as much experience as I can um, as a nurse, I feel like you need to move around. Um, yeah. I'm definitely going to do a lot more nursing. I really want to have my own nursing home. Okay. Wow. Eventually, because I, I still feel I'm a bit too immature yeah. and I feel I need that level of experience. Just a small one. Complex needs. Yep. Um, and I want to emphasize independence and fun um, and but I, I kind of don't want to do it until I've changed the image around it. <laughs> so yeah, once I've changed the image, I'm currently writing a book um, oh, wow. about my experiences as a nursing home nurse because okay. there are so many books out there about being an ITU nurse, a cancer care nurse. There's nothing about me being a nursing home nurse. Nice, nice. I started that in the beginning of COVID. So as a need to keep myself sane, 
um, sort of thing. So eventually get published, but that is a long way off. A long way off. I need wow, to do my well master's done. first. <laughs> Brilliant. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I talk a lot. No, That's probably fine. why I was suggested. <laughs> yeah, no. No, brilliant. No, thanks for your time. Um, I have been listening to the podcast and I, I've got to admit, it's really good. Oh, good. Thanks. So where uh, can no, people find you? Uh, Twitter. Okay. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, oh, God. Uh, it's it's Kaylee and lots of numbers. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay. I'll put um, a link in the, in the description. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if anyone's ever got a question about what it is to be a nurse and should I go for it, message me and i'll tell you the honest truth of what nursing's really like <laughs> and any t any advice for people that were thinking or are thinking about being getting out of acute settings and maybe doing care homework do it honest to god do it but go in with your eyes open don't that safety net that you have in the uh, in acute setting disappears yeah. and is replaced with something completely different so embrace it don't fight against it and have fun and enjoy it because you'll never have an experience like it brilliant well thanks for your time yeah thank you for having me <laughs>